planting and, and to purchase, and we just pray for those that are searching. I'm looking for my thing up here. I don't have it. It's great to see everybody. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And we'll take our reading today from uh, 12 to 21. Make sure my little clock is working right here. Romans 5, 12. Romans 5. Started reading at verse 12. Long ago, in another time, in another galaxy, it seems, um, Valerie was sick. And, uh, you know, when your wife is sick, you want to help, help a sister out, right? Get in there and do something. You know, she does all these things. Let's get in there and help her out. And so... We had we have five kids, you know, and we had five kids at the house back then. I don't remember exactly when this was she was sick. Maybe when she was after she'd had one of the children. You know, the laundry was you know, I can't do much. When I was when I was a teenager, the week before I went left home to go to college, my mom she said, Come downstairs, I want to teach you something. I said, What? She said, I'm gonna teach you how to do laundry. I was like, Do laundry? I said, I'll just get some girl at college to do it for me. <laughs> Because my whole life, my clothes just, I would take them off, put them in a basket in the bathroom, put on clean ones, and you know, a day or two later, those same clothes would magically appear on my bed in my room. I have no idea how they ever got there. My mom, she said, I'm going to teach you how to do a couple things. She showed me how to do laundry. She said, put, put everything in one load, put it on cold, put some soap in there, and wash it. She said, it'll be good enough. And I guess it was because I still got married. <laughs> And then she said, I'm going to show you how to iron a shirt. I said, iron a shirt? Now, we've crossed the line here, Mom. <laughs> we've gone too far. Anyway, so I decided Valerie was sick. I was going to help, I'm going to help her out. And so I go in there into the laundry thing, and I don't really know about sorting <laughs> colors and whites and colds and, you know, warm waters. But anyway, I, I got some stuff that I thought was safe to wash. I put... You know, probably 13 pairs of jeans <laughs> in the washer and 10 or 12 shirts <laughs> in the washer and fired that dude up, you know, and washed the clothes. And I checked most of the pockets, I thought. And then I put them in the dryer and they dried. And once the dryer was finished, I learned something that one of those pockets had a crayon in it. And once it got in the dryer and got exposed to that heat, you know, it just melted and got all over everything. And everything in the dryer was corrupted. Only one pair of pants with one pocket had a crayon in it, but everything got tainted by it. And I can still remember the look on Valerie's face as she's folding the clothes, you know, seeing all these little spots. What is on this? And didn't you check the pockets? Of course I did, I thought. But one pocket, one crayon corrupted everything in the dryer. I want you to think about that as we read now from Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, 
Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if, for, if the many, for if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed, I'm sorry, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the justification of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word. The main point of this passage is to tell us that Adam's disobedience corrupted and killed us all, but that the obedience of Christ and his death is the only cure for the corruption and death that Adam brought into the world. This is what Romans 5, 1 through 11 is about, is that Jesus Christ came into the world and he died in the place of sinners so that sinners could be reconciled to God. And sinners who believe in that, sinners who believe that that death was, that was, (laughs) that Jesus died for them, they are justified by faith in the work of Christ, in his crossed work. Now, I want to reserve the right to come back to this section next week, maybe, because there are some other things I want to talk about from this passage. This passage, verses 12 through 21, one commentator says it's the most difficult passage in the Bible to interpret because of some of the things that it says. And it, it, there are some things to really kind of scratch your head a little bit. But we may come back to it next week, depending on how we, how we do today. Of course, who will be the judge of that? I don't know. <laughs> I guess when I, when I get done, if I feel like I didn't uh, get it, then we'll come back to it. Now, let's talk about these things. Now, there's an outline up here on the, uh, on the screen. But I want you to do me a favor. Disregard it. <laughs> Disregard it. The, 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 the general headings are okay. But let's talk about this for a second. Let's look at verse number 12. Verse number 12 says the sin entered the world by one man. One man introduced a vile and potent pollution to the world, and that was Adam, by Adam's intentional, willful disobedience. God said, do not, and Adam did. And because Adam did, Adam's sons did, his daughters did, and you and I sin today. Sin entered the world through the pollution of one man. And we all know from history how the influence of just one man can have dire consequences on people. Have you ever noticed how you have a group of people standing around, a bunch of kids maybe, or a bunch of men or women, and one person show up? And by the time that person is done, they've got everybody angry or everybody happy or everybody talking to doing something crazy? Just one person shows up. You ever went to an assembly or to a meeting with somebody and you look around and you see so-and-so's not there and breathe a sigh of relief? Or walk into a room and see that they're there and go, oh, why didn't I stay home? 
The influence of one person, we all know how that goes. We know how it can be. And the influence of one man, this one man, Adam, he has corrupted us. He brought in sin to the world. Through one man, sin entered the world through the actions of this man, through his disobedience. Now this Adam, this has an implication. It means that there was an actual historical Adam, a father of us all, who was our common ancestor. That was Adam. And this man who was entrusted with the beginnings of the world, with the origins of humanity, the first husband, the first father, what does he do? He defies God. And that corruption trickles down to the rest of us. Now verses 13 to 14, we learn that sin pre-existed the law. But listen to the reading. The reading here will make you, kind of make you, make you, give you pause when you look at it. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Now, this is a striking thing, but you can't, you can't disconnect verse 13 from 14, where it says, Nevertheless, death reigned. Sin pre-existed the law, the Mosaic law, but we have the law now, Because people do not count themselves sinners unless there is a clear law for them to be proven guilty of violating. This happens sometimes at our house where I'll tell the kids, you ever ever use, uh, well, it's not just my kids, it's all of us that do it. Uh, Do you guys know what cuss words are? (laughs) Cuss words. And there's there's quite a list of cuss words. And then you can arrange them in different forms and (laughs) come up with some fascinating stuff, right? Cuss words. But then we have these substitute cuss words. It's not the cuss word. When I was a kid, we called it Christian cussing. <laughs> All these words we would slip in there. And you know, at our house, every once in a while, from somebody's mouth will come some new form, some new substitute, and it'll sound so much like the real thing that we'll say what? Don't say that! Don't do that! They're like, what? And they say, why? It's not a cuss word. It's not a bad word. Nothing wrong with that word. And so they don't want to admit that it's wrong. Just like you and I don't want to admit that something is wrong. Unless there's a clear rule we broke. We want to have, where's the statute? Where's the actual rule? Put it in black and white and show me that I broke it. Then I'll admit that I did wrong. This is how men are. We do not want to admit that we are sinners unless there is an actual law we have violated. So in the Garden of Eden, all there was was this one command from God. Do not eat of the tree. And that was enough to condemn. Adam had a direct command from God. Then from Adam forward, there is no written law of God. There's nothing in black and white. It's all oral traditions. It's just words spoken. Do not do this. But then when the law comes in, the law reveals sin in a greater way. It magnifies the law. verse, Verse 14, this is what 13 says. Sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Now, this this is striking. But then, verse 14, nevertheless, even though there was no law, there was still a consequence for breaking God's law, and that is death. Death reigned. Don't miss the power of that word. Death reigned. Death ruled. No one can escape death because everybody's a sinner. Everybody sins. Everyone who sins, they die because they are a sinner. This is what the rain is, the power of this. This sin has brought death into this world. Look at the, look at the text. I don't look at the text. Listen to me for a second. Adam violated a direct command from God. 
But the people who died in the flood, they did not. Sir, I'm giving the sermon. If you want to speak, we'll talk after the service. Will that be okay? Will that be all right? You're, just, you're being disruptive. So your choices are to listen, to listen quietly to the sermon, or if you want to talk, you can talk afterwards, or you can go out. You have to choose. James, James, I'm, I'm asking you to just listen to the sermon quietly or to leave. This is not this is not a for this is not a, this is not a forum for conversation. This is a sermon. Sir? I, I can't I can't understand the word you're saying. <laughs> I'll preach I'm preaching what the Bible says. So please please just be quiet until after the sermon. <laughs> there you go. This is a, Adam violates the direct command from God. But all the people who died in the flood, they didn't have this same direct command. God didn't speak to them like he spoke to Adam, but they still died in the flood. Why did they die in the flood? Because this is the consequence of their sinfulness. They have defied him. And God knows this. In Genesis chapter 6, it says that every thought and intention of man's heart was only evil continually. God knows what they are. They're raging against him in this internal law, in this express law in their mouth, in in God's mouth. Even though they didn't have the written law, they still were held accountable by the law. Death still reigned over them because they were lawbreakers. You say, well, what if they didn't know the law? What if they're not aware of what the law says? Don't they get a pass because they're ignorant of the full scope of God's law? Well, to illustrate that, we know how it goes, right? If you get pulled over by a police officer for speeding, and he says, do you know how fast you were going? Well, you, you say in general, you know how fast you're going usually, but you don't ever want to admit it. So you say, well, I was going the speed limit. Well, the speed limit is not what you thought it was. And you say, well, I thought the speed limit was 45. I thought it was 55. Does the police officer really care? If you don't know, he doesn't, he doesn't care because he knows the law. He's the executor of the law, and he holds you accountable for that law. He holds you as a lawbreaker. He marks you down that way. And in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, the apostle Paul says that Jews have the law, and they are counted guilty before God because they don't keep the law. Then... He says that Gentiles who do not have the law, they are counted guilty of breaking the law too because the law of God is written on their hearts. Because Paul says you can go to some culture that doesn't have the law and find them behaving in a way that is in agreement with God's law. They naturally come to these conclusions because the law is written on their heart. Sometimes we'll hear it referred to as the law of conscience. The law of conscience. Now, in verses 15 through 17, the apostle's been talking now. He tells us what Adam has done. But in verses 15 to 17, he gives a sharp contrast between what Adam did and what Jesus did. Listen to the reading here. 
But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. There's no comparison between the two actions. Adam does a single act and condemns us all. Jesus comes and does a single act and overcomes many trespasses, many sins. Listen to the, the, the sharp contrast. This is the first time in verse 15 that the Apostle Paul mentions or uses the word gift. Now, this is an interesting turn of phrase. The gift is not like the trespass. Now, we have to know what the gift is. We turn back to Romans chapter 1, verse number 11, where the apostle Paul says, I want to impart to you a spiritual gift. There's something I want to give to you. I want you Romans to understand this. Look at verse 11. Romans 1, verse 11. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. There is a gift that's going to be received by faith. A gift that can only be received by faith. A gift that is given. And the word here is that great word charisma, which is a free gift. Something that's bestowed without cost to you. Something that's made available to you. Now what Jesus does in giving this gift is head and shoulders better than what Adam did. Because the gift that Christ gives is a gift of justification. It's even better because it's a much more powerful gift. Because Adam does one single thing and condemns us all. One single thing. But Christ does one single thing. He dies on the cross and his death is so powerful that it overrides, that it supersedes, that it blots out all the sins of everyone who believes in him. Of everyone who believes in him. Adam does one thing, one crayon in a pocket touched everybody's pants. One defilement. But the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ brings into the world a a forgiveness that covers all trespasses. All of these things are taken away through Christ. This is what Jesus has done. Jesus has come and he does the exact opposite of what Adam does. We sang in the song, we sang this song about the true and better Adam. That Jesus is called the second Adam. He comes into the world and lives a perfect life on our behalf. Adam, in the garden, in perfect circumstances, with the perfect wife, the perfect weather, not snow, <laughs> comes into the world and he lives and God gives him one rule, one law, and Adam breaks that law. Adam disobeys God. He disobeys him. But Jesus comes into the world, into a world that is not perfect, had winter, had thorns, had tax collectors, <laughs> had enemies had pains, had aches. Jesus comes into the world that's been defiled because of Adam's sin. And Jesus is able to obey God perfectly. Now, the actions of both people are imputed to, to sinners. 
to mankind. Adam's disobedience is imputed to us because we are guilty through Adam. He sinned and we sinned because we are his children. But God's mercy and God's grace comes to us through the obedience of Christ. But there's an interesting turn of phrase here. There is an is and a can. Adam's trespass is imputed to us, but Jesus' obedience can be imputed to us. Is versus can. It is imputed to us, and the only way you can escape that corruption is if you put your faith in Christ, and then the perfect obedience and righteousness of Christ can be imputed to you. Now let me illustrate this in a very base manner. You know what you call a pastor who gets who graduates college with C's and D's? Terry. <laughs> Just like you call one that gets all A's. I mean, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so what if, what if in school you have some is anybody here get good? I'm like, let's not talk about exact people. Let's just use generic illustrations. Let's have with Jim and Denise. <laughs> we, have, we have Jim's report card, which is all borderline not making it. <laughs> then we have Denise's report card, which we all know what Denise got, don't we? <laughs> Your dad shout out A's, all A's. But what if on, on the last day you have Jim's report card, which is all F's, you have Denise's report card, which is all A's, and it, and it comes down to the end of the year, and they say, well, let's give Denise, Denise's report card to Jim. And Jim, Jim says, yes. So you, it's the, it's the impute, this is what the imputation of righteousness is. Is Jesus has come into the world, he's gotten all A's before God. Passed every test. He's got all A's. And you got all F's because you failed every test. From birth forward, you've been failing, 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 failing. But then God in his mercy and in his grace gives to you the righteousness of Christ. He gives to you something you did not earn. He gives you his own righteousness. He gives you his own son. This is John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them... Gave he the power or the right to be called the sons of God. This is what Christ has done. This is what can be yours if you believe, if you do not believe. If you do not call out upon him. There is no salvation for you. Now both Adam and Jesus, they both suffered. Adam suffered for dishonoring God, and Jesus suffered to honor God so he could undo the damage that Adam did. And the suffering of Christ for your sin is essential. There has to be an atonement for sin that's committed. God is good, and because he is good, he has to judge sin. He has to hold sinners accountable for their sins. You would be completely annoyed. And you'd be inflamed if you went to a court of law and you listened to a a, and the accused be a person be accused of a crime and then be convicted of a crime, you would be angry if the judge said no sentence, if he commuted the sentence and set aside the verdict. You'd be, you'd be upset. What an injustice. But because God is good, he must hold sinners accountable for their sins. This is why hell exists. This is why the great burning takes place. 
the final, the final day. There's a resurrection unto condemnation. Jesus says there is a condemnation that comes for sins. And only if you put your faith in Christ can you escape that. Now let's look at verses 18 and 19. Because it is right here. It is exactly right here where some people make the case for universalism. Listen to the reading of Romans. Consequently, just as one man, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for, what are these two words? All people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. It is right here. That persons, they say, well, here are two texts. Here are two verses that say, Adam got us all in trouble, every single one of us, without exception. So therefore, Jesus has gotten all of us out of trouble, every single one of us, without exception. We're all good to go because Jesus died for us. I'm going to be honest with you. I wish that's exactly what this text taught. I wish it because I have people who I love very much who I think are probably going to die. And go to hell when they die. There's <laughs> James, thank you, sir. Please go out. James, please keep going. Hey, we don't have any hard feelings against you either. You're just disrupting our service, James. It is right here at verses 18 and 19 that the case is made for universalism. This is, this is where it's drawn from. I was talking with a, a pastor in Utah one time, and we were talking about this very thing. And he said to me that he interpreted this passage to mean that everybody is redeemed by the blood of Christ. And he built it upon this text. And when you pull this text out of the entire context of the Scripture, well, this is, that's, that's the only way you can make it work. Because Paul has already said in Romans 1, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? Unrighteousness. And he gives this great list of sins that says these are what unrighteous deeds are. And if you look at that list, you'll find your own particular set of sins in that list. And probably, if you're like me, it's not just one particular sin. There's a lot of those that apply to you. You're defiled. And then in Romans 2, Paul says the whole world is guilty before God and under judgment. And then in chapter 3, this judgment is so real, it's so strong, that Paul says in Romans 3, verses 25 through 26, listen to the text, listen to the reading. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Christ came into the world. God has to judge sin, so he judges sin in Christ so that God can be just and the justifier or the savior of those which believe in Jesus. 
This is where salvation comes to us. God has to punish sin. This is what Paul has already said. And it says that God is the justifier of them which do what? Believe in Jesus. If you want to have the benefits of Christ's obedience, if you want to have the benefits of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, you have to believe in Jesus as your Savior. You must put your faith in Him. If you do not put your faith in Him, there is no escape for you. There is no escape for you other than through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Him. Jesus Christ has come and He's kicked open the door so you can enter in. So you can escape the fiery torments of God's justice. Of God's justice. It's right here where the rubber meets the road. There is no other way than through Christ. Now verses 20 through 21. Here, what Paul's been saying, he's been saying, That the law, the knowledge of the law, is not essential for you to be condemned. You can be ignorant of the law and still be condemned. And Paul says the law doesn't have to be known to be condemned because you're condemned already, right? Then he says, the law law cannot save you either. (laughs) You cannot be saved by keeping the law. This is Romans chapter 3. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So he says, the law can't save you either if you obey it. So therefore, what's the purpose of the law? What do we do with the law? How do we use the law? Listen to Romans 3, 20 through 21. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. Let me ask you a question. Any of you guys ever use a highlighter? If you're going to give a talk or going to give a speech about something, and you want to be sure you say certain sentences or certain phrases, what do you do? Well, you get out a pen or a highlighter and you highlight it to make it what? More visible, more obvious, more obvious. And this is what the law does. The law makes your sinfulness more obvious. It highlights it. Have you ever been reading the Bible? Like this morning, I'm reading Proverbs. I was reading a different Bible this morning, but I think I can find the verse. Today's reading for Proverbs is Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14, 16. Do not hold this against me. <laughs> But have you been reading the Bible and, have, and, and see on the page in front of you your own sin? Listen to the reading. The wise fear the Lord and shun evil, but the fool, but a fool is hot-headed. <laughs> it, you know, just, I read a different Bible this morning, but I've read this Bible before. Guess what verse is circled? <laughs> that one. <laughs> And we say, why did you mark it? Because I want it to be obvious. I want it to be remembered. A quick-tempered person does foolish things. <laughs> it's right there in Scripture. Just bam! It's highlighted. It's there. And the law, see, the law is this great measuring stick. 
because in the world you say, well, I, I am good. And it's okay. Well, it's measured you by the law. And when you're held up to God's unwavering standard, guess what you're, guess what you're found to be? You're found wanting. Remember that great story in Daniel where King, I think it's King um, Darius or Nebuchadnezzar, he's having this great feast and a hand appears and writes on the wall. And Daniel comes in and interprets it and it says, you've been weighed in the scales and found wanting, lacking. When you are measured by God's standard of, of right and wrong, you're going to come up short. And the law does this. The law reveals this to us. The work of the law is a good work because it highlights our sin so that we can see what sin is and who sinners are. Now, friends, I want you to know something. No matter how bright the law makes your sinfulness, grace is bolder. Grace is bolder. No matter how big your sins are, grace is bigger than your sins. This magnificent grace is more powerful than you can imagine. Listen to the reading. Listen to the reading. The law was brought in. This is Romans 5.20. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, Grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace reigns through Christ. It rules over death. Grace is more powerful than death. The grace of God has come into this world to save sinners from death. And to save someone from something, you have to be more powerful than the terror, more powerful than the enemy. Grace is the nuclear, atomic bomb of redemption. Boom! Spreading and saving and changing and wrecking the hold of death over this world. Jesus Christ came into the world. He lived and died. But on the third day, what did he do? He rose from the dead. He rose victorious over the dark domain. And he lives forever with his saints to reign. He has come into this world. This grace is amazing grace. It rules over us and gives us justification and eternal righteousness through Faith in the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is escape from damnation through Jesus Christ only. We sinners are saved by the grace of God and not by the works of our own hands, but through Christ alone. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time to be together. We pray you bless your word to our hearts. In Jesus' holy name we pray it. Amen. Now let's stand